three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, we've got some news on Justin Fields from the Super Bowl that comes up in just a second. Also, a brand new interview today with Mark Janowski, a Bulls insider at Stadium and the host of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King. Talk with him extensively about the Bulls' great run, what to expect for them moving forward, some Bears news, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglou. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. The real evaluators of your career. They aren't strangers, people you don't know. People like me, even. It's people within your industry. Your peers are the only ones who can truly judge your own career, your own trajectory and path, how well you've done. They're your true evaluators. They know better, right? Look, I could sit here and say all I want about Justin Fields, about this Bears team. At the end of the day, I'm not a football guy. I'm not in the building. I'm not a scout or evaluator, former GM. I'm just giving my opinion. Through evaluators of the Bears, of Justin Fields, of Matt Eberflus, Brian Poles, they're going to be people who know more about the game, who've been inside league circles, who have an accurate take and an accurate grasp of uh, football, the NFL, or the Bears. Plain and simple. That's a fact, too. I could give my opinion. I could tell you the truth about what people say, try to decipher certain things, but not a football guy, not a former quarterback, not a former GM, not a former head coach, not a scout, even. I'm just your good friend telling you what I think about the Bears and beyond. So when I see certain people within league circles talk good, about Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Pace. You want to somewhat take notice. They're not always right. I mean, we saw Albert Breer say great things about Matt Nagy. Obviously wrong. Friends of Matt Nagy, other coaches, stuck up for him. Obviously wrong. But sometimes they're right. And always, it's worth noticing what they say. Adam Hogue from NBC Sports Chicago interviewed a lot of people at Radio Row during the Super Bowl, a lot of people within NFL circles, former players, former GMs, had a lot of good things to say about Justin Fields, despite the tough rookie season. 
Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman, quote, he just needs a chance. I think that offense was disjointed with what they did. But I think by the end of next season, middle of next year, we'll kind of know if he makes those special plays. Mike Golick. We all know Golick. Justin Fields can move, but you can't just move. You have to be a good passer as well, and he has shown signs of that. But absolutely, I think he can be developed with the right system. Sean Alexander, former NFL MVP. I grew up watching Sean Alexander on the cover of Madden. Quote, swag and moxie. That's an interesting thing because, one, you've got to have it, so it's in you already. But then, two, you've got to be able to put it in a situation where it's not taken as arrogant or shut down. A person like that, if he throws a couple of good balls, everybody starts believing. That's what Joe Burrow has done, and I think Justin can do that. Now, some words of praise from a lot of people within football. Former players, current analysts, they know what they're talking about. Again, I'll take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying they're wrong, but we have to see what happens. I want to see real results before I sit here and praise Justin Fields. But here's what I will say. As I sit here and look around and examine the landscape of Bears football come next year, expect a big bounce back from Justin Fields. I know that might not usually be on brand with what I say, but I'm being serious here. Expect a bounce back, a big one, for Justin Fields. I'm not saying league MVP, but I do believe he could probably match 2018 Mitch Trubisky, if not be a bit better. I will say that right now. I fully believe it's within Justin Fields' capability to put up a 95.4 passer rating, throw for 27 touchdowns and 13 picks, complete the ball 65, 66% of the time, and throw for 3,500 to 4,000 yards. I understand those are a bit lower expectations, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's an MVP yet, either. Last year was really bad, obviously. Bad system, bad coach, no weapons. But I firmly believe he could be just about Mitch Trubisky's best year this year. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Say what you want, I think it's true. There's no reason to doubt yet. I really want to see what they do offensively with Luke Getze, former Packers passing coordinator. Stuck around for a long time with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. I want to see what they scheme, what they draw up. And that's going to be my determining factor right now. Matt Eberflus is not going to do much. He's a CEO. Ryan Poles has a big role to play. Better rebuild this team the right way for Justin Fields. At the end of the day, though, it's going to come down to the offense and how it's run, and I would hope Getz sees the right guy. Here's my point, though. A lot of people within NFL circles who played the game before at a high level like what they've seen from Justin Fields, and they know more than me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, that I really know everything. I know a little bit, might have a gauge on a part of it, but I don't know everything. This is encouraging. And as we know, it's been said a number of times since the end of last season, I need the right guy to develop Justin Fields. Jeff Schwartz said it. Need the guy to develop him. Mike Golick, need the guy to develop him. They do. And I'll add on to that, too. They need the right team to develop him. I'm going to keep saying this all offseason until we see real changes. Doesn't have enough weapons right now. Does not have enough weapons to succeed. I'm sorry. He doesn't. 
I know I got a bit of flack for saying Kolkomat's a bust. I believe that. He has not shown me otherwise that he has. Oh, his catch percentage. I don't care. I've seen a number of times with the eye test, he's dropped balls in crucial situations. Hands down his feet, fumbles too much. Not a friend of mine. Not going to sit here and praise Kolkomat for what he's done. There are much better tight ends in the NFL. The Bears don't have one. They don't have them. That's a problem. But even the tight end's not the biggest problem for the Bears. It's the O-line and true weapons. They have to find a way to invest in the offensive line. And we're going to talk about in a second how important that is when you relate it to Andrew Luck and Joe Burrow and what they've gone through, but they need to develop the offensive line. Please invest. And then secondly, wide receiver. Look, I don't expect Allen Robinson to take a pay cut. Going to hit the open market, most likely, and doesn't want anything to do with this team. Fine. I don't blame him. Go. They're going to be stuck with Darnell Mooney, which, fine. Okay, 1,000-yard season in 17 games. But who else? Who's after Mooney? I'm waiting. That's right. Crickets. Nothing. The Bears have nothing, really, after Darnell Mooney. That has to change. Look at Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow had T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Jamar Chase to throw to. Three quality wide receivers. If any one of them was on the Bears, I'd be super happy. The Bears only have one guy right now. They need to put Justin Fields in the right position to succeed. And this, right now, not going to work. Step one is complete. To their credit, step one is more than complete. Get Matt Nagy out of here. Matt Nagy is a joke of a coach. Should never coach in the NFL again. Shouldn't even coach high schoolers. I'm being honest here. Should it? If he sabotaged Mitch Trubisky in the NFL, I can't imagine what he'd do to a high schooler. Who he didn't like. So, Matt Nagy is gone. That's step one. Step two, please develop him. Please build around him. Developing and building around him are going to be the two biggest factors to his success. Without a doubt. It's so encouraging to see a lot of his peers, a lot of people within NFL circles, compliment him. I'm happy to see that. Happy to see people who know more about the game than me say he's a good quarterback. But there's always that caveat. And the caveat here is, can he develop? And do you have enough guys around him to succeed? I know you might get tired of me saying this. It's a recurring theme. We talked about this last offseason, but it's still very true. Look, you're not going to win crap if you have nobody around. You have no O-line, no wide receivers on top of it, too. And Cole Komet, a tight end, yeah, you're not going to win much. Look, Joe Burrow had three wide receivers. No O-line, three wide receivers. Good running back. That helped a lot. Bears, good running back. One wide receiver, as of today. No O-line, really. Needs to change. I do believe, Justin Fields, though, if things could go the right way, which it looks like it might be, he's in for a big improvement next year. You heard it here. May not be a hot take, per se, but I'm being serious. I mean, he's going to improve dramatically come next season. You'll see. Trust me on this one. He's going to get better. I don't know how much better, but I do believe he could probably match Mitch Krabisky's 2018 season. And if that happens... I won't complain. I mean, that's not bad. 
hey, I'll take 20-plus touchdowns, limit the interceptions, run for a little bit, and win games. Take that all day. The Bears have never really been an offensive-heavy or quarterback-led team, so you don't need to do much to win. The defense is all right. Had a couple of reinforcements offensively, and Justin Fields needs to be more so a game manager more than anything to win next year, which is perfect for development. He's not going to be expected yet to take over a game. He could, and if he does, that's great. But really, all the Bears need is competency. They won 12 games with Mitch Trubisky. Throwing for 26, 27 touchdowns and 13 picks. They did. 95.4 passer rating. They, they won 12 games with that production. Mitch didn't have to be over the top. He was average. He was fine. Nothing wrong with him. Nothing bad. Played well. They won. That proves the Bears don't need Justin Fields to take over a game yet. They have enough weapons, defensively at least, and they have the ability to not have to worry about stuff like that. They have the ability to win enough games without Justin Fields taking over. And that's what gets me excited. So think about this. Right now I do believe the Bears could be a 500-ish team if Justin Fields plays like 2018 Mitch Trubisky, imagine if he took over games. Imagine if he threw for 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, rushed for 500, 600 yards, plays a full year, not getting hurt. I mean, you could be expecting much more from this Bears team. And all that's going to come down to his offensive weapons. It's going to come down to a couple more wide receivers, better offensive line, utilizing Justin Fields and playing to his strengths. All these things are correctable. We're talking about a salary cap of $40 million where the Bears could spend money. It's all possible. Up to the Bears to get it right. But it's encouraging to see a lot of people within league circles talk good about Justin Fields. And again, doesn't mean it's an end-all, be-all. But usually, in your career, your peers will tell you how well you're doing. I know nothing about cars, not a mechanic. I can't sit around and say you're a crappy mechanic. I could say you're a dishonest one. You're charging me too much money. Can't say you're bad at your job. Other mechanics will. Other former players could say Justin Fields is a bust. They could say I've seen nothing encouraging. Not the case. There's obviously something there. It's going to be up to the Bears to tap into that potential. There's something there for Justin Fields. Can the Bears tap into it? Can they equip him with a good enough team? Can they play to his strengths? Can they alleviate some pressure? He should not be expected to take over games next year. If he could play like 2018 Mitch Trubisky and be a game manager, my goodness, watch out. And if he does better and actually does take over games because he has that mindset, you're talking about a real good team and a real good quarterback. I'm encouraged right now. we got a long way to go, I get it. There are going to be a lot of headlines that we're going to have to sift through over the next couple of months till we get to September and August, but it's a good start. I hope the Bears build around him. I want to shift to this. What happens if the Bears don't prioritize Justin Fields? What happens if they don't rebuild the offensive line or give them some offensive reinforcements, wide receivers? What's going to happen to Justin Fields himself? How much damage could he or will he incur? Pretty interesting question. 
I don't know for sure. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. But I will say this. We can look at other players to determine what's going to happen to Justin Fields if the Bears refuse to develop him or build around him. I want to read you a couple of stats here. Joe Burrow was sacked 70 times this season, third most in NFL history. That includes the postseason. Okay? Justin Fields started 10 games and was sacked 36 times. On pace to be sacked 72 times. Joe Burrow played in the Super Bowl with a brain MCL, played right through it. Towards ACL a year ago because of no offensive line. That's the thing you have to worry about. Look at Andrew Luck, too. Andrew Luck, talented quarterback, who, by the way, I think could come back at some point. Heard it here first. But, great quarterback, talented, and yet retired early because he was beaten up way too much. I mean, really beaten up behind that Colts offensive line. It's pretty funny, too. Then all of a sudden, when he leaves, they start to improve it. Quentin Nelson, a bunch of other guys. Now their offensive line's pretty good, but it wasn't with Luck. It wasn't under Chuck Pagano and that team. They won games like the Bengals, but Luck got beaten up every single time. Had no protection, nobody helping him, got hurt, retired. Said, I'm done with this, I've made my money, I don't want to get beat up anymore. I don't blame the guy. It's just a cautionary tale, both of them, to say the least. When you look at Justin Fields and you look at what he went through this year, sacked 36 times, remember the Browns game? How many times he was sacked? Shout out to Drabe's offensive line by Matt Nagy. This cannot continue. I hope it doesn't. Again, new GM, new head coach. I am fully aware of the hope that surrounds this team. But just remember what the alternative is. If the Bears do not invest in Justin Fields or invest in some protection for him, look at what happened. Joe Burrow, Andrew Luck. And my goodness, Joe Burrow got sacked 70 freaking times this year. Fields was on paint for 72. Not going to work. At some point, you will get hurt. You know, that was my argument before the season even started. I got lambasted for it, but it's true. I didn't even want Justin Fields to play. I knew he wouldn't have enough protection, and sure enough, he got hurt a number of times this year. Multiple times. Missed multiple games. Protect him. Hey, Joe Burrow is bigger, a bit stronger. He still got killed. Andrew Luck, bigger, much bigger, stronger, retired from injuries. Don't do this same to Justin Fields. And that's what really got me mad, especially about last season. You would think Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace would know better, right? Look at the trends around the NFL. Remember Andrew Luck. Look at Joe Burrow. How in the hell do you not get the message to protect Justin Fields? How do you not have that click in your head? That stuff's common sense. Again, I'm not a former GM. I'm not a former head coach. I'm not within league circles. But I think I'm qualified enough to say the Bears need a new O-line, a better offensive line to protect Justin Fields. Doesn't take a rocket scientist or even a salary cap nerd to understand what happened to Joe Burrow, what's happened to Andrew Luck, and what could happen to Justin Fields. Does not take a genius to figure that one out. Well, I'm surprised Nagy, Pace, and company didn't study Andrew Luck, didn't study Joe Burrow enough to think, hey, you know what, maybe we should do something different. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't follow that sort of blueprint for our quarterback whom we drafted. 
whom we drafted and want to develop for us. You would think, right? They did it. It's just a very cautionary tale. Be careful. Hey, the NFL is scary if you're a quarterback. I get it, you know, new penalties. They're trying to make sure that nobody touches him. But yet, Justin Fields got hurt a couple of times last year as a rookie with nothing. Joe Burrow towards ACL rookie year. This year towards MCL or sprayed in the playoffs, Super Bowl. And Andrew Luck retired early because he had no help. Literally no protection. I remember some people when Andrew Luck retired saying, oh, you know, he's a wuss. Should be able to take it. Can't handle today's NFL. No, that's not it. I know things were different back then, but this is a quarterback-driven league now. Things are different. He has options. The guy's made a lot of money. Why sit there and subject yourself to constant physical pain? I mean, that's, I would take that personally. I would take that personally. Andrew Luck probably took it personally. I know I would. If I'm a quarterback, brand new guy, my team tells me, hey, you're our guy, franchise guy, we're going to invest around you. And I'm getting battered because I have no offensive line because my GM's an idiot, then yeah, I'm going to take that personally. If I were Justin Fields, I would take it personally. He is owed an offensive line. Just like Joe Burrow is, just like Andrew Luck was. Every quarterback is owed some sort of offensive line. They are owed it. Okay. You're going to tell me it's a quarterback-driven league. If you're going to tell me they're going to bank $40, $50 million per year when it's all said and done, then yes, they're owed an offensive line. You can have no success if you have one second to throw the football. Or if you're on the run, immediately. There were times this year, Justin Fields, immediately on the run, out of the pocket. Joe Burrow, immediately. Andrew Luck. All these guys have sustained injuries, mostly because they have no offensive line. That's unacceptable. And if I'm Justin Fields or Joe Burrow or Andrew Luck, I would take that personally. I'm being touted as a franchise quarterback, and yet my team won't stick up for me enough to give me an offensive line, a competent one, not a great one. We're not talking about A-plus offensive line. We're talking about average, at least. In each of those cases, the offensive lines are below average. And guys are getting hurt. Quarterbacks are getting hurt. This is your biggest investment in a team. They're getting sidelined because you can't protect them. This is why I get so passionate about this topic. It's contradictory. You cannot say you're our guy, big franchise quarterback, then equip him with some $2 offensive line and expect everything to be okay. That's contradictory action. You can't tout your quarterback and give him nothing to protect himself with. That's happening to Joe Burrow. Happened last year to Justin Fields. It happened to Andrew Luck. So if the Bears really want to make a difference here and make sure that Justin Fields doesn't continue down that path, please, Ryan Poles, invest in the offensive line. Make sure Justin Fields has enough time to throw the football. You can avoid getting hurt. That's your biggest investment, quarterback-driven league. I can't emphasize it enough. If it's a quarterback-driven league, if the Bears are one quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl, then please 
He's a rookie, second-year guy. Invest in your own line. Make it a little bit easier for him. Every quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion, is owed a good offensive line, or at least an average offensive line. I don't care if it's the NFL. I don't care, oh, be tough enough. No. If you get no time to throw the ball, if you're always on the run, if you get hurt because of no protection, that isn't your fault. It isn't fully your fault. Not going to blame Justin Fields if he continues to get no protection. I can't. In my heart, I can't do it. It's not his fault he had no time to throw or nobody blocking for him. So the Bears want to make sure they really develop him and take care of him, please. Make sure he doesn't turn out like Joe Burrow or Andrew Luck. Invest in the offensive line. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Mark Janowski comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Every John DeGloyland, we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's a Bulls insider at Stadium Sports Reporter at ABC7 and the host of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King. Please welcome Mark Janowski to the program. Mark, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well, John. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. Uh, what's your evaluation of this Bulls season, first off? It's been amazing how they've been able to overcome this series of incredibly serious injuries and still be near the top of the Eastern Conference. I mean, for a lot of teams in this situation, you'd see them start to fall back in the conference standings, but they've been able to find ways to win games. A lot of credit goes to Billy Donovan and his staff for being flexible with their rotations and maximizing whatever talent he has available on a given night. And hopefully they can get these last two wins going into the All-Star break because the schedule really gets tough uh, when they resume the second half of the season. Did you expect this sort of success from them, injuries or not? I mean, they're, they're in the Eastern Conference. I don't think many people did. Yeah, I, I thought that going into the season, they were probably going to be in that battle for the six to eight seeds in the Eastern Conference. But a couple of teams got off to slow starts, especially the Knicks. The Knicks had just totally gone into the tank. The Atlanta Hawks got off to a real slow start. Remember, they made the conference finals a year ago. And the Boston Celtics started very slowly. So that enabled the Bulls to get a jump on the competition. Brooklyn was trying to find their way with uh, you know Kyrie not being available at the start of the year. and. James Harden kind of in and out of the lineup. So they had an opportunity to take advantage of of slow starts for a lot of teams. And I think as they built some confidence, that just allowed them to feel like, hey, you know what? Why can't we stay here for the entire season? And, of course, DeMar DeRozan is playing at a level that no one could have expected when he came over in that trade with San Antonio. He's been around the league a long time. We know he's an outstanding player, but he's playing at an MVP level. And when you go back to the start of training camp in September, no one could have predicted that. Was he the steal of the offseason? I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, he's averaging 27 points a game. He's now got a streak of five straight 35 or more points per game. It's just been incredible. I mean, like I mentioned, he was fantastic in Toronto playing with Kyle Lowry. He kind of fell off the map in San Antonio because the Spurs were bad the last couple of years, but it wasn't that he was playing poorly. It just, you didn't hear much about him. So, you know, when they got him, I was wondering about the fit with Zach Levine, but those questions disappeared after the first week or so of the season. How do you think they've played together, like when you watch them play together on the court? I think they've been great. You know, both of them like the mid-range shot. You know, they will play isolation ball at times, but Zach has done a a really nice job of saying that 
DeMar is going to be our primary scoring option in a need situation, and I'll just find a place to spot up where I can either shoot an open three or maybe catch the ball and make a quick drive to the basket. And I think that, you know, both those guys have tremendous respect for each other, and that shows in their play on the court, the comments they make about one another. Now the, the key for the Bulls is, you know, Zach is going out to L.A. to get a second opinion on his sore left knee. You have to hope that nothing serious shows up in that exam and that hopefully he can get back after the All-Star break and play at a high level again. What do you think the problem is with Zach? I mean, I've heard that, you know, there's been knee discomfort for him for a while. He's played through it. Are you very concerned about this? You have to be concerned because that's the same knee that he had the ACL tear. And, uh, you know, anytime you have surgery like that on a joint, you could have some problems. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if it's a, you know, a scar tissue kind of issue or just the fact that, uh, you know, the ligaments just get sore every now and again. So um, I think Zach will be back. I, I, the key for the Bulls right now is not to rush him. You know, I know because they're so short handed Zach wants to play through this he wants to be available because they've got so many other rotation guys already out and that's to his credit but you can't get to a situation where it's really crippling him I mean in the Minnesota game the other night you could see that he was wincing he was in obvious discomfort Um, you can't play basketball at the NBA level if you're if you're worried about a high pain tolerance kind of thing you know he's I give him a ton of credit for trying to play through it Hopefully he'll he'll decide if the doctors recommend to skip All-Star Weekend and, and, and be ready to go for the second half. Are the Bulls capable of playing well enough without him to get through it? They've shown they are. You know, they've had guys out throughout the season, as I mentioned, and still found ways to win. They couldn't go long-term without Zach. I mean, if, Zach, if, they, you know, if, if wor- the worst sphere came and he had some kind of uh, meniscus tear or something and needed surgery, yeah, that would be – That'd be horrible for the Bulls because he and and uh, Demar are really one in one A. And if you take one of those guys away, then the opposing defense can load up on the other guy. And I think that's why that partnership has worked so well. Because if you decide to double team Demar, well then Zach is going to have easy pickings and vice versa. So if you take Zach away from the Bulls for a long term situation, I think that would really show. But the way they've been able to win or continue to win without Ball, without Caruso, without Patrick Williams, it's been pretty amazing. How impressive would this season be if, you know, they didn't go too far in the playoffs due to injuries? Like, how do you make or decipher the difference, rather, between all these injuries, but yet they played pretty well? You know, normally you would say after a team hadn't been to the playoffs for the last four seasons, just getting to the postseason would be good enough. But because they were leading the conference for a span of almost two months, you know, you kind of you get a little bit greedy and think that maybe this team can make some noise in the playoffs. And if all breaks right, Maybe they could be playing for a championship in June. But with all the injuries and the fact they haven't been able to continue to build that chemistry on the court and other teams have strengthened themselves, I think with the Brooklyn-Philadelphia trade, those two teams now are definitely in the conversation as a contender. You've got Milwaukee and Miami as well. So you've got four teams in the East that have more experience than the Bulls that have been through playoff situations. Now you're hoping that maybe somehow the Bulls could stay in that top three, because if you drop below that, the first round playoff series is going to be extremely difficult, no matter which opponent you draw. Mark Janowski here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, how surprising has Io DeSumo's presence been? He's been fantastic. You know, when the Bulls got him in the second round, as as the picks were clicking off, I was thinking, you know, Io's falling. Maybe the Bulls will get him. But I didn't think they would take him because, you know, a point guard, kind of a combo guard, wasn't exactly what they needed after drafting Kobe White a couple of years ago. So I didn't know that they would actually pull the trigger on Io. You know, 
that was a pick that you would think maybe Gar Pax would have done because he's the hometown kid. He played at the University of Illinois, and the fans will like it. But, you know, AK had no such uh, uh, commitment to have to do something like that, to make a pick to appease the fans, because he's obviously still very much in his honeymoon period, and he's done a great job to this period. So he, he didn't have to make a, a pick of a hometown kid just to appease the fans. This was a guy that obviously they had scouted very heavily and thought that he could contribute at the NBA level. Watching Io play at, at Illinois, you knew that he was a guy that could score off the dribble, a good defender, fantastic attitude, but you didn't. You wondered about his three-point shooting. Was that consistent enough, and was he a good enough ball handler? Well, over these last 16 games that he started, he's been a revelation. You know, his, his assist-to-turnover ratio, I just uh, uh, looked at it before we, we came on, is 7.1 assists to 1.8 turnovers, and that's incredible. I mean, that's at an all-star level that he's running their offense. He's done... He's exceeded everyone's expectations. Of course, he was selected as one of 12 rookies to play in the Rising Stars game coming up this Friday during All-Star Weekend. And if he continues to play at this level, he's got an outside chance to make first-team All-Rookie when the postseason awards are announced. How do you explain the second-round drop for him? Hard to say. I think it's mostly the fact that, as I mentioned, people, scouts wondered about his three-point shot. Could he be consistent from that level? And he's shooting over 40% from there for the season. And I think the other thing was his handles. You know, at, at U of I, at times, he was a little bit turnover prone. He, he, you know, people would attack his dribble and sometimes force him into mistakes. And I think people wondered, could he run an NBA offense? Well, he's answered those questions and more. And now, uh, you know, people around the league, uh, some of the national writers are, are touting him as the steal of the draft and a guy who could potentially be not only a contributor for the Bulls, but a guy who could be, you know, an upper level NBA point guard. Mark, what still concerns you about the Bulls right now? Lack of size up front. I mean, that's first and foremost. You know, I've talked about it a lot uh, on stadium when I when I do my appearances there and I've tweeted out a lot of the fact that, you know, they play teams like Cleveland or Philadelphia or Milwaukee, teams with a lot of size inside. They're going to have trouble matching up. Now, all the reports on Patrick Williams have been very positive. We're hoping to get him back at some point uh, in the middle of March, and, and he will help. But Patrick Williams is only six seven. You know, he's got that long wingspan over seven feet, and, and he can certainly help defend power forwards, but he's not a guy you're going to put in the post and say, well, guard Joel Embiid and stop him or make sure that, that Giannis doesn't go off tonight. You know, he doesn't have that kind of size or that kind of experience. I was hoping that they might add another 6'10 type of player, you know, who's got good lateral quickness that they could use to defend for the postseason. They did not get that guy in the trade market, because I'm sure all the opposing teams were saying, if you want our guy, like say a Jeremy Grant, you know, we want Patrick Williams back and, and AK wasn't going to do that. I think they'll get somebody in the buyout market, but I, I don't think they'll get the caliber of player that you're going to say, well, we'll put him on Giannis or Kevin Durant or, or Joel Embiid and we'll be fine. Do you think that was a good move to protect Patrick Williams? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that was the very first move of this regime with uh, Arturis and Mark Eversley. The first thing they did was go into that uh, 2020 draft, the fourth overall selection. There were a lot of names, as you recall, being bandied about that they might take. No one even was mentioning Patrick Williams because he didn't start a single game at Florida State. Leonard Hamilton was bringing him off the bench. His statistics were very modest, but as teams put him through workouts and you know they did the physical testing, you know he kind of popped as a guy that had potential to be you know an elite level power forward. Now we haven't seen it yet because he didn't get a chance to. Uh, be a focal point of the offense during his rookie season. Then he got hurt five games into this season. 
But I think uh, AK and, and Mark Eversley are looking at their initial evaluations and thinking he's 20 years old. He's going to come back. You know, why trade a guy that maybe has all-star potential for a guy who can plug a hole right now? They have to, you know, for any GM, you have to not only be concerned about this season, but three to five years beyond. And I think they look at Patrick Williams as a guy that's going to be a foundation of this program going forward. Why has the Bulls' defense gotten much worse this year? Well, they lost Ball and Caruso, who are their two best perimeter defenders. You know, they were ranking in the top 10 in defensive rating before all these guys went out. And as soon as they lost those two guys, they lost that physical defense at the point of attack. You're seeing more opposing guards get those straight line drives into the paint, which kind of compromises your whole defense. And, you know, the, those two guys were the head of the snake in terms of being able to stop the initial thrust from opposing guards. You took them out and, and you see the impact of what's happening. A lot of teams are putting Nikola Vucevic in, in the high screen and roll. And for all of Vucevic's strengths as an offensive player, he doesn't move his feet that well in terms of you know being able to slide out on the smaller perimeter players. And a lot of neat possessions, teams are going to that high screen and roll and, and they're getting positive results. Do you think if everybody comes back healthy, the defense will go back to normal? Yeah, I think it's certainly going to improve. I mean, you, you get Lonzo and Caruso out there doing what they do attacking the the opposing point guard, playing passing lanes, getting easy baskets in transition. Yeah, I think the defense will automatically improve. But Billy Donovan pointed out in a recent news conference that we can't just expect, you know, the cavalry arrives and, and everything's going to be fine because you build habits up over time. And if, if your defense has been struggling, you know, some of those issues aren't going to disappear. You know, all of a sudden, Booch isn't going to become an elite pick-and-roll defender, and they're still going to lack a little bit of size up front. You know, we didn't even mention the Cleveland Cavaliers who start three guys that are close to seven feet on the front line, including, you know, the former Bull Lowry Marketing. And they're one of those rare teams that are going to attack you with size. But there's going to be some issues that they're going to have to accomplish, but other teams are going to have problems trying to, to defend the Bulls' three-guard front. And when they get Lonzo back, you know, you'll see a lot of closing lineups where they either have Caruso or Io in there with their starting backcourt, and that's going to cause matchup problems for the other team as well. Where do you see the Bulls going this year, Mark? I think that uh, they'll, they'll finish in the top six. They'll they'll be a, a very strong first round of team, and it's just a question of matchups. You know, let's say they finish fifth and they draw Philadelphia in the fourth in the first round, who finish fourth. Well, then you have to defend Embiid, you have to defend James Harden, they have Tobias Harris, they have Tyrese Maxey, who's really emerged in his second year as a very outstanding young guard. That's a tough team to defend. Or if you draw Miami with, with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo, you know, any any opponent you're going to get in that first round is going to be tough. That's why I was saying you hope they can finish in the top three and maybe take whoever comes out of the playing situation or Boston will probably be six and like Boston's won eight games in a row. So there there's no easy draw in the Eastern Conference. The East is stronger than the West right now. But we haven't said that in a long time. Are they a finals caliber team if the matchups go their way? I don't think so at this point, you know, just because of the fact they lack size up front and they don't really have that shutdown defender that can take on one of those elite players like a Giannis or a Durant or an Embiid and, and at least hold their own. Uh, that's going to be a tough matchup when they get into one of those series. And, and my hope is that at least they can get into the conference semifinals. I think if they can get that far, it'd be a really successful season for the Bulls. More to come with Mark Shinowski. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Mark Janowski is still here on Sports 
Auction Chicago. Mark, a few more questions before we finish out. First off, your reaction to the Bears' new hirings at GM and head coach was one. Well, like so many fans and so many people in the media, I was hoping that they would hire a guy that was, you know, had a great resume of offensive background that worked with quarterbacks and had a lot of success tutoring those guys. I was hoping that maybe they get Brian Daybold, who was the offensive coordinator for the Bills, because he did wonders with Josh Allen. Now, Josh Allen is a physical marvel. You know, he's he's right there with Patrick Mahomes in terms of his arm strength, his ability to escape the pocket, uh, run design, running plays and, and really be productive. Uh, you know, I thought that that would have been a good guy to bring in here. Uh, unfortunately, they went, uh, not unfortunately, but they chose to go on the defensive side. And I think what their thought was that they wanted a leader. I think after after four years of Matt Nagy, who's a nice guy, but I don't think really commanded the room as well as they would have liked. They wanted to get a guy who could, who could say, you know, I, I'm running this football team in all phases and I demand accountability. I don't think that was Matt's strong suit. So uh, they looked at Matt Eberflus and, and all the, Comments on him have been, you know, very strong leader, uh, very demanding, holds players accountable. And he said that he's going to let his offense coordinator run the offense. He'll let his defense coordinator call signals on that end of the ball, and he'll be an overall leader. And I think that's something that, you know, Matt always wanted, Matt Nagy always wanted to call the plays. Uh, that was his background. He's a former Arena League quarterback, and, and he felt like I have this expertise on offense that, that I can that I can share. And you know, he was stubborn to a fault in terms of wanting to go with his system regardless of personnel. And that ultimately, that was his undoing. I mean, if, if Matt Nagy would have had his way, I don't know if Justin Fields would have seen the field at all this year. I think he might, they might have held him out the entire season. But now, you know, I think um, Matt Eberflus will let his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, who, of course, worked with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, he will get a chance to develop a system around Justin Fields. And only time will tell how good Justin Fields ultimately will be. I know a lot of people are down on him. I still think that he has all the requisite tools to be a very, very good NFL quarterback. I think now it's up to the coaching staff to design a system that will help him be successful. Do you think this new regime at least sparks some improvement for next year for Fields? Yeah, I think so because, I, you know, he's going to be the unquestioned starter. There's not going to be this, well, he, Andy Dalton's a placeholder until you're ready. You know, he's going to get all the work during uh, OTAs and the mini camps during the spring. He'll, he'll walk into training camp as, as, as the number one guy, and, and he won't have to look over his shoulder as to, you know, who's getting the reps at practice. All the focus is going to be on designing a system around him. I mentioned design runs, sprint outs, moving the pocket, all the things that they did for him at Ohio State, I think they're going to do with him in his second season with the Bears. And, and I think you're going to see a big jump from Justin Fields in year two. How similar is this situation for the Bears to the Bulls bringing in Karnishibis and Eversley? Is there any connection that you see? Well, I think it's basically the fact that they will not have any, this new regime will not have any allegiances to the players that are currently on the roster. I mean, with uh, Arturis and Mark Eversley, they basically turned over the roster in a year and a half. I mean, everybody was gone except for uh, Zach and Kobe. And, uh, you know, they, they cleared everybody outside. You can't do that with a football team, obviously, because there's so many more players. But I think that it's, it's going, going to be, you know, kind of the same thing with the front office with the Bears. Uh, they're going to look to make major changes. Unfortunately, they don't have a first-round draft pick this year because they traded that in the Justin Fields deal a year ago. But they're going to try to try to make some moves around the fringes to acquire more draft picks. I think they'll be smart and free agency with not trying to spend 
huge dollars on the, on the glamour names, but try to get more depth because they have to solidify that offensive line. The offensive line was just horrible last year. That was one of the reasons why I feel struggled as much as he did. And I think that they'll go out in free agency, maybe not get the top guys that up out there, but I think they'll get a couple of veterans in here that will really solidify that group. And they'll probably use a couple of draft picks on the O-line as well. And Mark, before we finish up today, last question, what's the funniest moment you've had on Give Me the Hot Sauce recently? The funniest moment. Um, usually it's about Stacy telling stories about his dogs or something happening in his personal <laughs> life. I mean, you know, he was t- he's got these two American bullies that they're both under a year old. And and he was telling a story about one of them being like uh, like the prison prison guy who always lift, lifts weights and, and, and pushes the other dog around. And and, you know, Stacy's one of the most uh, genuinely funny people I've ever been around. And when he tells stories about the things that happen in his everyday life, you know, from him, you know, cooking out in the winter and adjusting his grill with a remote control. And then, you know, anything, any story he's talking about his life, you know, just ends up with all of us just laughing and, and, and going crazy. But, um, you know, we've had, we've been very fortunate in that the, the bulls have been fantastic in helping us uh, get some really uh, good guests. We've had Damar and Zach on, we've had Alex Caruso. And just this past week we had Io DeSumo on and just the, just the fact we've had a chance to get to know those guys a little bit better. Um, you know, when we talked to DeMar, I, I don't know if you noticed uh, when he comes to the, onto the court or when he shoots free throws, he kisses both of his wrists. And I asked him about that. And he says he has the name of, uh, of his mother and his daughter tattooed on his hands. And that's why he does that for good luck. So, you know, it's, it's nice to get to know these guys just above and beyond, you know, what their scoring averages is and everything else. And, and, and all the guys that the Bulls players we've had on have been very open in, in discussing you know, things about their own personal lives and just beyond what happens on the basketball court. So, you know, we have a whole archive of shows that you can find on YouTube or all the podcast carriers. And we, uh, we do a visual platform on every podcast we do. So I would encourage all the people who are big fans of Stacy and are big Bulls fans, you know, just go to YouTube, search, give me the hot sauce, and you'll find the entire catalog of our shows. And, you know, we've done some shows in the past with some of Stacy's teammates from the championship era, you know, guys like Scott Williams and Cliff Levingston and Bobby Hanson. And, and those are all available. So if you want, want to catch up on uh, Stacy and, and his whole adventures, you know, I encourage people to check it out. I'm a subscriber, by the way. So I, I tune in. Well, every we week. appreciate that, John. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate the time. Best wishes with everything you're doing. ABC seven stadium and give me the hot sauce and looking forward to the next time we chat. Thank you, John. Continued success to you as well. I know you've reached a number of great thresholds in your subscribers, and we wish you to continue to get bigger and better with all of your projects. Right Talk there with Mark Janowski, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Mark Janowski himself, Matt Tubio, WCKG, Jim DeTalbe, and Tomorrow Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluo. If you want to watch more of this show, Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. And so long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?